But let me pray first, and then I'll read Exodus chapter 2. Father, we thank you that in the Bible we have a light in the darkness. Please help us to hear you speak to it, uh, through it. Tonight we pray. Amen. Amen. Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the child went for the child's mother. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she became her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burden. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptians? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? 
they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, it's a very thing. Why have you left him? Why have, why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son and he called his name Gershon. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. We'll stop there for a moment. I think Natalie's going to take uh, uh, the children out and we'll carry on. As we start, let me ask you, why do you have the Bible in two books? Old, new. Why? And the Bible tells us it's like this. The Old Testament is like a small television set showing us a small picture. And the New Testament is like the big full screen version of what God is doing. That's why it is good for us to learn from the old part of the Bible things that happened a long time ago like this story because it shows us how God is today. And it shows us about Jesus. And the first thing we're going to see is that when God works, he always works with a deliverer. Ah, I think that in party. Deliverer. Rescuer. Mm-hmm. Yeah? I uh, understand. Uh, what's the password word? Deliverer. Rescuer. Um, I should have looked it up. I'm sorry. You understand. Right, okay. <laughs> deliverer. Uh, now, you see that. Uh, a baby is born. And the baby is born at a time when other babies are being killed. Uh, this baby is born and other babies are dying. And we begin to understand that actually there were babies born. Uh, Jesus was born and when he was little, it was the time when babies around him were being killed in Matthew chapter 2 verse 16. You see, Herod was doing what Pharaoh was doing in Exodus chapter 2. And then you see his mother put him in a basket. Now, that word for basket is a special word. It's called an ark. And if you look at the way the basket is coated with pitch, that's exactly what they did with Noah's Ark. Coated it with pitch, the way they made it. And that shows us uh, how God uses wood to keep his people safe. 
So in Jesus, when he died on the cross, by God put people in Jesus to protect them from the anger in order that they can go out and start a new life like they did in the ark. We saw that uh, when they put Moses in the river, they were putting him in the place of death, but he did not die. And when they put Jesus in the place of death on the cross, he did not die. So there's so much that goes on here that shows us the big picture later on. And we begin to see that the number one enemy is Pharaoh in Egypt. And the way God works is he does not keep his people from Pharaoh. He uses Pharaoh. So Moses grows up in Pharaoh's house, right under his nose, as Pharaoh's grandson. And he makes sure that God's purposes happen even though he is the enemy. And in the same way, in the New Testament, the number one enemy of God's people is Satan. And he did not protect Jesus from Satan. On the cross, Jesus, God used Satan to uh, do something that would rescue his people later on. God uses his enemy. And you see that in Exodus and in the New Testament. So all this is like a rerun of um, uh, the old part of the Bible. When God made the world, he made this for this last week for people to get more, 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 to be fruitful, to be multiplied. And now that's happening here. But equally, in Genesis we saw how God would put enmity between the serpent seed and uh, the seed of uh, his people. And that has been happening all the way through. It happened in Egypt. Uh, the children of Pharaoh are, are against the children of Israel. And you see that in the world today. Uh, there are these two groups. They are still the same groups. The children of the devil and the children of um, Adam and Eve that God wants one day to rescue. Now, the <coughs> rerun with the first part, the first book of the Bible, fantastic. It says here that Moses looked great. When you see God going around in creation, it says, this is the, this is the, this is the, this is the, Moses, he looks good. Back to something working the way it was meant to work at the start. So we see that uh, uh, this great uh, 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 story is showing us a bigger picture later. And Moses, he leaves his palace and he goes and joins God's people in verse 11. And he understands, these people, these are my people, I will go and identify with them. 
I will be with them. And so in chapter 11, he says, um, uh, he looked on his burden and he went up to his people. He thought, these are my people. He identifies with his people. And even later, he becomes a shepherd. And it is interesting how in Genesis, God's people live in this place called Gershon because they were shepherds and Egyptians hate shepherds. Now, Moses is a shepherd. He identifies with God's people. Just like Jesus did not stay in Paris, in heaven, but identified with his people and became a good shepherd in his time. So, it is that wonderful how you see these little pictures telling us what God is going to do later. But, while God is going to do these things, he doesn't just simply say, right, stand over there, I will, I will do everything. God works in partnership with people. Partnership, actually, I don't know why I didn't look Partnership, partnership. Um, working together. Um, and, uh, yes, Google Translate is already. Uh, we'll explain. Now, it happens like that. God does not say, I will do everything, you do nothing. You will see how when God is working, you will see Moses' mother has this fantastic invention. She will make a basket. She has a really great idea to do something to keep her son safe. And Moses' sister, she's quick thinking. The minute that uh, Sarah's daughter gets her, uh, gets the baby, I will get, I will get uh, a Hebrew woman to look after this baby. That save you a lot of trouble. Quick thinking. And because of that quick thinking, because Moses' mother taught Moses which side he was on, in verse 11, he knew who were his people. Moses' mother had very carefully, energetically helped her son to understand what God was going to do. And her mother had done a fantastic job in teaching her child. So he knew. So it is just something where we to say, oh, God will do all that. No, I will get in there. I will do anything. I will do everything to make sure God's purposes are fulfilled. But the second thing to remember is that it is prayer that makes promises happen. Now if you look and you can see, this is how we would normally work. We would expect God's people to pray, and then God does it, because we pray. But that's not how it happens here. Here, happens the other way around. Happens. That God does, Moses keeps him safe, and then prayer right at the very end in verses 23 and 24. That's strange, isn't it? But I think what that shows us is that right from the start of the Bible, we need to learn one important lesson 
Ruth, you can go later and see. Uh, one important lesson, and that is that God's people are not that great. God's people are not that great. When Nebuchadnezzar Moses goes to help them, they say, no, we don't want you ruling over us. Chapter 2, verse 14. Who made you a judge and a ruler over us? No way. And then, when they uh, have real problems, right at the start, they didn't even pray. Chapter 1, verse 14. Things are really hard for them. They didn't pray. They just whinged. They groaned. And then, escape uh, hunger, please. And then, lastly, there is slow prayer. They just want. Oh, excuse me, sorry, that's great. Yeah, I'll let you break that. Um, so, that's so correct. So, even in verse 23, if you look the way it's written, first they grow, and then they cry to God. Like, even then, it's got to be really, really desperate for new life to get prayer. And we begin to speak right at the very beginning. God has to make conditions really desperate for them to help them to pray otherwise they won't pray but when they pray uh, what happens is that God remembers his covenant he remembers his promises now when it says God remembers it's not that he has forgotten what he said he was going to do after what he did say three times to Abraham and to uh, uh, Isaac and to Jacob. So it's kind of on his mind for him to say every time he gets someone new, he says what promised us, he's not going to forget them. And uh, it's a bit like uh, that. Um, right, uh, why did you, why did you sit here and then it be fine? I just hear well. That's okay, don't worry. Uh, have a seat. So, when uh, you have God remembering, it's not like He has forgotten. Uh, a, why don't you put your back down and take the front? Yes. Uh, so, when God remembers, it's not like He can't remember something unless someone tells him. It's a bit like a family going away on a holiday. And the father, he's got the map, he knows, he knows how to get there. He's already working to put things in place for them to arrive. But just as they get to the end of the motorway and they're getting the exit that they want, the child at the back says, I'll be there yet. Just at the right time for the... It seems like at that moment the father leaves the motorway and they get to where they want to go. So it works like that. It's not that God needs reminding. He knows all along. He's making it happen. Moses there. But when people pray, the plan comes the steering wheel changes. 
plans start to go into action. We'll see that next week. What can we learn this week from what we've found out so far? But the first thing to do is to actually say, there are lots of people who say, when there is suffering, there is no God. We thought this last week as well. My friends, that is the very last conclusion we ought to come to when we cannot see God putting a stop to suffering. Because we can see from this chapter that he has already put someone in. Moses is there right in verse 1. And then he goes off the sea. But he will come back. And the same way, the Lord Jesus has been revealed and he has gone away. But he will come back. Don't think there is no God because there is suffering. Remember this story. God has a deliverer. The deliverer will return. The second thing to remember, especially if you've been to church many times, is that actually God's people are generally the worst people. And they are the ones who are always pushing God's purposes to one side. So that they don't want God to rule over them. They think it's inferior. And we don't want to pray to him unless we are absolutely desperate. We don't turn to God. We don't seek him. And we are not close to him. And one of the really good things for us to learn is for us to see that we are no different to the people in the small television screen. We are like that as well. And we fail God. And it humbles us and it helps us to realize this is what we are really like. It's easy when we think of people in church. Yeah, I know what to do and I will go and do it. There we are those who won't even pray. I don't know whether you know what your prayer life was like last week. Impressive? My guess is probably not. And so therefore God wonderfully works with people who are the hardest outfit on earth to work with. And one of the things that we need to realize is magnificent about our God is that this is what he is like. He takes people like us and they're not that great. And then the third thing we need to understand is that God can use us as his partner. We may be in uh, uh, difficult times, but the truth is that we can always trust that although God is invisible, He is involved. And because God is involved, we can do anything, everything, to be as imaginative, as creative, as inventive as we can, 
to keep people safe. That is our joy. That is our job. And we put out all the stops, like we saw last week. God has been a great blessing to us. And it's a wonderful thing. It is purposes to be his partner to bring blessing to others as well. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to pray. And, uh, <coughs> and then if you can uh, be excused and uh, we'll uh, take some questions if we've got any. Let's pray. First, in a moment of quiet, you might just want to talk to God yourself. Say you're sorry that your prayer life is not one that is close to God. Maybe admit where we are not uh, responsive to Him. And Let's pray that God will help us to trust him when he is invisible, that he is still involved. Have a moment of quiet. Talk to God quietly and then. Let me pray. Father, you wonderfully reveal yourself to us, but sadly, while you reveal, we often reject. Thank you that uh, in your deliverer, because of your deliverer, even we can have hope of your rescue. So please keep us trusting him. And please help us to keep striving for the saving of lives. And would you please work out your saving purposes, even through us, we pray, for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen.